This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. This show is about you, so we're here to help you become the best man or woman that you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, check out our toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where you'll get the fundamentals of dating and attraction and body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, a lot of things that are more important than you might think. Of course, networking and relationship development are right in our wheelhouse as well. We've got our live programs and boot camps running every single week here in Los Angeles, California as well. Details at bootcamps.theartofcharm.com. Note the two dots in there. Or give us a call here in the office, 888-413-7177, or you can even email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I do read everything. Now, looking forward to meeting all you guys here at The Art of Charm in Los Angeles. Today, though, we're talking to my friend, John Levy. He's an amazing guy, really just a super networking powerhouse. And I don't even like to use that word. He's a relationship and influencer developing powerhouse. You've heard us say that you only go as high as your five closest friends. Nothing could be more true. And here's one of the best in the business. We're going to show you how the best of the best to make this happen and why. We're going to talk about providing novelty and wonder to your curated guests, leveraging social currency and getting people to invite their influential friends to your gatherings, how to constantly, quote unquote, level up the attendees and creating a curated, trusted community around you. Enjoy this one with John Levy. You're a complicated man, John Levy. You know, you've got your keynote work. You talk about influence, social experience, digital strategy, but you're more well known for for some of your influencers dinners, and uh, we'll get into that in a second, but I'd rather have you introduce yourself so that I can interrupt you in the middle of that and then keep talking about myself. <laughs> uh, well, my background is I'm a behavior expert. I take research from people who are way smarter than I am, uh, like neuroscientists, behavioral economists, behavioral researchers, and I apply it to help companies connect with their customers in really intimate ways, or help uh, push perspective or opinion. Uh, on whatever it is that's important to the company. Excellent. As it's ethical and uh, a company that I'd want to stand behind. Sure. You kind of put your personal brand and your name on everything that you do if you're working with them at this level of influence and things like that, I would imagine. Uh, sometimes it's uh, under non-disclosure that I work with them. Um, I design experiences or help them design their websites. And then there's other type of experiences where I, I'll do an event and I'll have... Uh, the influencers community members attended, uh, which is what you had brought up earlier. And then my personal brand is very much tied to the company and kind of give it a stamp of approval in the process. So tell us a little bit about influencers, because this is really interesting. In fact, when I heard you first talk about it and when we connected on the phone, my first thought was, this is the coolest idea ever. And it does take somebody kind of special to pull it off. Oh, that's really flattering. Yeah. Well, let me give you some background on it. Uh, six years ago, I was sitting in a seminar called Wisdom. It's a, a seminar by Landmark Education. Mm -hmm. And the program leader uh, 
brought up this idea. He said, the fundamental element that defines the quality of our life is the people we surround ourselves with and the conversations that we have with them. Right. Right. Now, all of us know that this is true to some degree, but we never go out and find new friends or uh, colleagues based on the values and lessons that we want in our life. We don't say, oh, I want to be better with my finances, so I'm going to find a few friends that are CPAs, or I'm going to be better uh, and more generous, so I'm going to find several friends that are nonprofits. Um, and so we end up essentially being affected very heavily by the people we surround ourselves with, but end up falling into those relationships by chance. Yeah. Designing our life. Yeah, that, it's funny. I talk about this a lot on the show. You only go as high as your five closest friends. I think it was like Jim Rohn who said that, right? Mm -hmm. and, and Bill Cosby said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? But we do go through this a lot. When I was a kid, my friends were the kids on my street. When I was in elementary school, they were the kids in my class. High school, they were the kids in my classes and on my sports teams. And then when you, even when you talk to people in college, it's like, oh, these guys lived in my dorm. Oh, this guy's in my frat. This guy is, was in a project group with me. Oh, this girl that I'm dating was in a sorority and we met at some event or, and or in a class. And then when you get to adulthood, if you're not paired up, that's why so many adults have dating and relationship issues, not even just romantic relationships, but friendships. Like guys will graduate and move to another town with their job and they go, oh my God, I only know three people and they're all guys that I work with and they're 20 years older than me and what, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. Because it's just proximity that gets you friendship. Phenomenal research on that. Uh, one uh, specifically is a, they looked at apartment buildings and who was friends and it turned out that the number of doors distance defined the likelihood that you'll be friends with somebody. So the people that were next door neighbors were significantly more likely to be friends uh, with each other than the people down the hall or on another floor. It actually makes perfect sense. You know, you think about all these people that are like, I met my soulmate, and it's like, I think they've actually, if anyone's done it, it's okay, Cupid, but the average radius is like within 10 miles, and it's like, so there's one person for you in the whole planet, mm -hmm. and they happen to live in a neighboring town. Go figure. What it luck. Is, it's really funny because uh, these two researchers at uh, in Boston, Christakis and Fowler, you know how they say that obesity is an epidemic, and there are two types of epidemics. Those that are statistically significant, meaning a certain percentage of the population has it, and those that are transferred from person to person, right? Like uh, cold. Okay, and, or Ebola for that matter. <laughs> yes, or Ebola, which is, I, I actually intentionally didn't bring that up because it's such a hot topic right now. But what they did was this very large study on uh, social networks, actual the way that people are connected to each other. And they found that, let's say you are friends with somebody who's, obese, your likelihood of becoming obese increases by 45%. My likelihood, just knowing you, George, increases by 25%. What are you, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that you're, you're, you and your friends are making me fat. Damn. That's cold, man. That's cold and probably true. Or I'm making you and your friends fat, depending on how you see it. Yeah, but you were the before and after guy for an ab product. So chances are, can I, does it work the opposite way? Like, am I getting skinnier because of you right now? Because if so, I want to do an extended show if possible. The, uh, the answer is that they generally found that everything flows through social networks and it runs, at least in the case of obesity, uh, the effect runs up to four degrees away from the person. So meaning your friends, 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 friend is still affected. 
That's awful news. But basically what you're saying is everything's contracted through other people regardless of whether it's an epidemic like Ebola that's literally contracted through contact with other people or something that's more mindset-based like obesity. Or at least that's what the, the Thaler and Christakis' research demonstrates. And there's been other studies that also demonstrate, which is really why it's so important that you curate the people that are your, in your inner circle. As much as it's wonderful to have those longtime friends that you've known since childhood and you've had 10 years together, sometimes it's just not healthy to keep them around. I know of many cases where I keep seeing people hanging out and there's drama and issues and they're like, well, I've known this person so long. I go, yeah, I, I can completely respect that. Uh, and there's something to be said for a long-term friendship and somebody who's got your back. At the same time, it's a question of if it's appropriate and if it's in line with what you want to accomplish with your life. Right. Sometimes it's just not. Yeah, there's a lot of people that, for example, write in or guys that come through the Art of Trump program and we always talk about letting go of people that are bad for you. And it's really tough because people will go, yeah, I've had to cut out a few friends, a handful of friends that just aren't good for me anymore. People who say, oh, it's stupid, you're trying to better yourself or that aren't going for what they want in life and things like that. And we're not, don't get me wrong, we're not trying to let, we're not like, you can only hang out with Art of Charm people now. It's not like that. It's, it's like, get rid of people who are saying, oh, it's dumb, you know, that stuff doesn't work, you're an idiot for going to this course, or, oh, you're not gonna get that promotion, just stop trying to be something you're not. Things like that, those sort of naysayers that let their negative self-toxic thoughts get out to you, those people do need to get cut, but it can be really tough, and you get letters like this all the time, what do I do, this person is my mom, or mm -hmm. what do I do, it's my sister who lives in my house because she is perpetually unemployed, how do I make this happen, or or even harder, what do I do? They're my parents and I'm, I'm 18, I'm 19, I live with them, you know, how do I sort of insulate myself from that? And these are really tough questions, because it's hard to cut out your family, even if it's the best thing you can do for your emotional health. It's a very complex issue and it's very much case by case. Uh, the complexities of family and social interaction, as much as we like to look at the laws of large numbers and see the impact, each person isn't a statistic. Because if they were, I would be the average guy and I'd be like 5'8", obese, reading at, I don't know, a seventh grade reading level or something like that. That's so awful. And each person is not a statistic. Uh, but to bring us back just a little to, so sitting in the seminar, he says this, what affects our life is the people we surround ourselves with and the conversations that we have with them. Really deeply impacted me. I, I really thought, wow, then I want to bring together the most exceptional people in our culture, see what could come of it. Inevitably, it's going to have an effect on the quality of my life. But beyond that, most people hang out in homogeneous groups, meaning bankers hang out with bankers, artists hang out with artists, physicists hang out with scientists, and so on. I needed to figure out a way to bring together the most exceptional people in our culture. Uh, the biggest issue with that was that I was 28, and I think working at a startup at the time, and there's absolutely no reason that a Nobel laureate or an Olympic medalist would take a phone call or an email for me. Right, yeah, because who are you, right? As much as these people are incredibly friendly and considerate, their time is amazingly strapped. So I spent the next year uh, examining what would provide value for somebody who's highly influential, famous, or connected, and how is it that I was actually going to bond these people and bring them together? And one of the biggest insights occurred about six months later. 
because I knew that I wasn't going to get them on a phone call. These people don't need more stuff to do. They're already over scheduled. Half the time they don't know what city they're in or going to be in because their schedules are managed by someone else and they essentially just know what's happening that day because they review it with their assistant. And so I needed to have something that was novel enough that would get them out of their normal routine. Okay. To create wonder, curiosity. Take them essentially out of that state of where they have all the answers. Because the most influential people in our culture, everybody goes to them for answers. But if I put them in a position where they don't know what's going to happen next, or they don't have the answer and they get to experience wonder again, the way they did as a child, then it's a very unique and appealing experience for them. So six months later, I am supposed to meet up with a bunch of friends and go out to dinner. None of my friends know each other. And when they arrive, we decide instead that we're going to cook dinner at my house. I realized as we were cooking dinner together that they were bonding incredibly fast. And by the time we sat down to eat, it was as if they'd been friends for years. And I said, this is exactly what I'm going to do. There's something about a combined activity, something that bonds people, something that provides nourishment that you're creating yourself that can really accomplish something unique. And I continued to design the experience in my mind, thinking, how am I going to do this? I added a really kind of non-standard element. And that was that whenever the guest would arrive, they weren't allowed to talk about what they do or give their last name. And if they're famous, they have to make up a name. Oh, that's interesting. Right. So if their name is like Prince, you can't say that. He's got to be like Jordan. Uh, do you know what ends up happening is that most people love Marvel comic superheroes and pick names from them. So a reporter will want to be Lois Lane or a scientist will go with Peter Parker. Really? And nobody picks up on that? Sometimes when they're really recognizable, they'll do a double take and some people will recognize them. But when you take people out of context and change their name, they don't really get recognized. Right. Like, I think you mean Peter Jennings, not Peter Parker, right? Yeah. Or Peter Jackson. Yeah. 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 So I started the first dinner just about five years ago, and it was a huge success. Uh, people just fell in love with it. And I kept iterating, changing slight characteristics, uh, dinner after dinner. And I've hosted everything from Nobel laureates and Olympians and members of royalty to executives at just about any company you could think of, to famous artists, musicians, actors. And uh, it developed this community of about 400 people that grows every month that are incredibly bonded and delighted to see each other and have this relatedness that the moment that you tell people they're speaking to another dinner guest, then they know that they can be trusted because they've all eaten dinner around my table and they were all hand selected. It's led to millions of dollars in business and donations to nonprofits and TV shows being created and news segments and articles and uh, friendships and people have started dating and it's been pretty extraordinary, the journey. So tell us how we can start to sort of use these skills for ourselves, right? Because 
a lot of people are thinking, well, great, I, w- I should start doing influencer dinners. And it doesn't mean you have to be inviting James Altucher over to your house every weekend or whoever you choose, but you can at least start to curate the types of people that show up at your door and make it a regular occurrence that's not just, hey, everybody, let's go grab a burger, right? So uh, the first thing I would say is come up with something that's really consistent with your core values, who you see yourself as. Uh, I fundamentally get a lot of joy introducing people and having them connect and become friends. It's at the heart of of who I am. Uh, My friend Kiao, for example, who's a cast member on Teen Wolf, uh, lives out in L.A. He started a games night, and it's a bunch of people who live in L.A. of varying levels of success all coming together, and he caps it at a certain number, and when people arrive, they play a certain game. And it's become so popular that he'll go a couple of months without doing one of the games nights, and he'll start getting tons of emails saying, when's the next one? So it doesn't have to be a dinner. Dinners are also can get kind of expensive if you're paying the bill yourself. But games don't really cost anything. You can buy a game for 25 bucks. Hell, you can create your own. But the idea is it's really about curating. And don't stress out about the first few times you do it. Things are going to go wrong. And I look back at my first dinner. The air conditioner was broken. It was mid-August. We were all cooking by the stove. Everybody was sweating. And since it was a group of you know, relatively influential people, they were all really dressed up. And looking back at it, it's funny that I managed to get these people to like go all out cooking this meal and let go of any stigma about how they ended up looking at the end. Yeah, they just didn't care, right? Because it was about the activity and not about the image. Precisely. Especially because nobody knew who they were around. But now it's, you know, I've done 37 dinners or so. And since we iterate and uh, I've turned it into a full process where every stage of the preparation has specific intentions and layout and everything's highly systemized, it just flows seamlessly. But the first few times were a mess. Sure. Yeah, I can imagine. And I think it's great that once people, because once people stop caring about the image that they're portraying and, and focus on the activity, that's when the real sort of connecting starts, right? Because the social masks are removed slash never put in place at all. Yeah. And that's really important because if you're a, a designer, if you're, you know, if you're John Varvatos and you're losing your crowd, you're going in there and you, you start sweating it up or whatever and you've got Ava Longoria in there and her mas- mascara's running, they're going to be nervous people, right? But if no one cares about the fact that they are who they are and they're just focused on the activity, then it, it becomes irrelevant. The other thing that we do is we don't post any photos. We take photos so that there's a record for history to show that Bill Nye, the science guy, and Laurie Anderson were at an event together, which sounds completely ridiculous to some degree. We don't post anything so that people know that they don't have to worry because people are having drinks, they're having fun, and you know it's an off-the-record experience. So to speak to the point that you were asking about How can people apply this to their lives? Right. I think that it really, it's important to consider what people are passionate about. Another friend of mine, Andy, lives down in Florida, called me up one day and said, hey, I'd like to do your dinners. And I said, you know, the dinners are really, they live with my spirit and my design, uh, but I'm happy to help you design something for yourself. And Andy is a successful Broadway performer and is really passionate about the arts. What we 
came to was the idea that what if he got a small group of people, let's say six or seven, and over the course of 12 hours, they had to write and produce a play. And then later that evening, their friends came for cocktails and to watch the production. Oh, wow. So it's all about the creativity and what's in your spirit. If you're a sports fan, maybe it's that your get-togethers are a really private game of basketball that's highly curated. But whatever it is, it's, I encourage people to do something that can be iterated often and quickly and inexpensive. Right, because otherwise you end up with weird inertia for the event itself, which defeats the purpose, right? Oh, I've got to go and get the special brioche from this place and it's expensive and it's far and I've got to wake up early to get it and then, oh, I didn't send the invitations out in time so that this thing's not correlate. Ah, forget it, right? That's yeah. what happens. Now back to the show. And when it becomes a task rather than a pleasure, then it loses its value. The other thing is that it really does take a long time to become an overnight success. The first dinner, the guests were wonderful. And I love them. Close friends of mine, none of them knew each other. But they aren't necessarily the people that are making headlines. And as I iterated and went dinner by dinner and shamelessly promoted this, I kept getting the attention of higher profile individuals. And at a certain point, I was approached by Forbes, a reporter that writes for Forbes. And uh, he said, I'd really like to cover this. And I said, I'm not sure I want to. Uh, this is a really personal experience. You don't even share photos. And after eight months of asking me to do it, I finally agreed. And it ended up being a really wonderful experience. And part of it was because given access to this reporter and I trusted him to represent the spirit of the experience. That led to a New York Times article and we were on the cover of the style section. And as I kept including more and more people and expanding and uh, becoming higher and higher status with the types of guests that attended, within at least New York, it's developed a reputation. And now we also do it in Park City and people who go to Park City, uh, Last year, it was hilarious. I literally had to say no to a A-list Hollywood actor and the founder of a billion-dollar internet startup that you probably use their product every day because we just didn't have any seats around the table left. Unbelievable. Wow. And that's phenomenal, right? How did you shamelessly promote this, like you'd said? And mm -hmm. also, how did you work your way up the ladder in terms of the types of guests that you're getting that you'd alluded to? So... The first thing is I invite without regard to industry. I don't have an angle when I invite somebody. I invite people because I find them interesting. And since I'm not asking them for anything other than to attend, and well, the big joke is that I spend most of my life convincing people to cook me dinner. Right, yeah. So there's very low level of friction. There's no, oh, I have to convince somebody to buy something or there's any ulterior motive. My design is very expensive, all out of pocket. And fortunately, I do well from the consulting and from when I was working in digital strategy. That was fine for my quality of life. I was happy to do it. The dividends that it's paid off far outweigh the $30,000 I spent. Even if I were to, let's say, hire a PR person for $30,000 for the year, I wouldn't have gotten the, let's say, the social status that I have gained. But it, it's just a disproportionate value that I got out of it. My belief is that you have to hustle. 
Whenever you're creating something new, you have to be talking about it all the time. The people standing next to you when you're at a party uh, and you constantly meet people and read, I have to explain what I do probably four or five times at a party. And whoever my date is or my friend that's with me, by time number three, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I know you've heard this several times already, but I don't know any other way to explain this. Right. And, and so they sometimes just walk away when I start meeting people. Uh, but I'm really passionate about it. And so I tell everybody about this dinner that I do. And initially, the first one, it took months and months between the first and second dinner because I had to collect names of people who are interesting. And for every seat I want to fill, the more influential the person is, the less likely they are to be available. So the more people I have to invite. So when you look at the editor-in-chief of a magazine, it'll sometimes take a year from the first time I invite them, and I'll invite them to 20 dinners, and finally they'll be able to attend one. So in the early stages, I was literally just talking to everybody I could and saying, oh, I do this really wonderful dinner party. Here's the concept. And they're like, oh, I love it. And they'd give me their contact info. And I'd keep a Google Doc with all of their contact info. And then I would look at how I want to curate the events. Now, it gets more complicated because once you have the first person in place, then it limits who the, the second person can be because you can't have two people from the same industry for my event. Uh, depending on what they're creating. For some people, they might only want people from a specific industry. The point is that I would just continuously talk about it everywhere I went. And that also meant that I would sometimes embarrass myself because the way that you describe an experience or invite somebody, let's say comes from multi-generational wealth to an event, right, is very different than the way you'd invite an executive, which is very different than the way you'd invite a celebrity. Can you give us a, some examples of those differences? Because that, that's, it, I'm sure it's different in each case, but it would be interesting to hear how you invite somebody who's old money versus a celebrity versus a, a high-level executive. I'll emphasize, I come from, my father was incredibly poor, grew up one of 12 children in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Israel, and worked his way to raise a family here in the U.S. Uh, to sell art. So I was never exposed to multi-generational wealth. And I'll, I distinctly remember being at an event. It was a dinner party. And I was like, yeah, well, I run this secret dining experience. It's pretty incredible. This is what we do. And the next day, the person that invited me said, you can't really do that with these people. Uh, you have to be a lot more subtle. You can say, oh, I, I do this cool dining experience, but you can't promote it in the same way. It's considered bad form to be really enthusiastic about it and really self-promoting. Because they don't need to do that because they will never worry about making rent, for example. So promoting your business thing is supposed to be kind of more social, less salesy versus yeah. an executive who's like, I want the information about this event so I can plan for it. Yes, precisely. Okay. Gotcha. Because the, the entire way their social calendar is set up and the entire way that business is done is happens at a different pace and style. And uh, the fact of the matter is that in most cases, there's a very low relationship between influence and wealth. For me, I'm curious about those who help create our culture or direct it. The person who helps Madonna uh, as a fashion stylist has probably more an, of an impact on our culture than the person who has $500 million in the bank and runs a family truck. 
Now that person can pick which nonprofits or organizations to donate to. The person who helps Madonna with her style probably helps out five other celebrities. The effect of her selections show up in every fashion magazine and the way that people shop. And that's what I'm curious about. It's the people who are literally out there making the choices that direct the, the course of our culture. Right. It's the people who are creating the frequency that all of our brains then resonate on, whether we know it or not, right? Precisely. Yeah. That's interesting to me. That's a lot more exciting because it demonstrates uh, knowledge and experience and training and uh, somebody who has a respect for their craft. Don't get me wrong. Individuals who are incredibly wealthy have probably done more for the development of our culture and the arts as a byproduct of their gift or for medicine as a byproduct of their gift. But in, in my mind, it's less exciting than the actual scientist that receives the grant that finds the protein that helps us cure a disease. Sure, you're right. You, you want the people on the front line of the art or the craft of whatever it is that they're looking Precisely. at. Precisely. Right. Yeah, you want Madonna's fashion designer instead of her CPA. Sure, yeah. yeah. Although you'd probably take either one at this point. CPA, right. and then definitely want Madonna's CPA. Right. Said, that guy knows exactly what to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's seen he's seen a few write-offs that might have been a little shaky. Excellent. So, all right. So you you promote differently for different types of folks. You'd mentioned before working your way up the ladder, quote unquote. And and I know what you mean by that. You're not saying it in a snooty way, like oh, regular mere peons are not as as interesting. But I I think you know some people are going. I want to start doing this. Who do I invite first? And then how do I become intentional about? getting more and more interesting and more in-demand folks in the room? So part of it is shameless promotion, for sure. Uh, and then the other element is once somebody attends a dinner, I ask them who the most influential people they know are. And I ask them to recommend them. And I have this expectation that, you know, I've spent a lot of time planning. I've spent a lot of time setting up. It's cost me a lot that if they've had a really great time, then it's a, a fair thing for them to do to recommend people. Now, some people are less comfortable than others to recommend. And that's, you know, one of those law of large numbers kind of situations. Uh, but most people are very generous with their friends, especially because I, I provide such a unique experience. That's if I may be really frank, I consider the, the dinner that I run the gold standard in influencer dinners. There are companies out there that, run them for uh, major corporations. But everything that I do is really designed on human behavior. And what we've been able to create as a community is pretty extraordinary. And I give a lot of credit to the people who've attended uh, from the beginning and who've stayed with it and who continue to support because it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, I can see why this would be, it, right, you're setting it up so that if I'm coming to your influencer dinner for some a last minute cancellation or something, and I happen to be able to roll in, right? You're saying, oh, Jordan, you know, who do you know that might be interested in this or something? I'm like, oh, I've got, you know, this friend, the Silicon Valley guys, and they're kind of interesting. And then I know these other authors and stuff. And you say, oh, well, would you mind inviting them to the next one if you think it's worth their time? And I'm thinking, oh, of course I think it's worth their time. Just wait until I tell so-and-so about your you know, set up here and this thing, then and then, you know, the the goings on at this event, they're going to be like, when's the next one? You're not going, hey, sell your friend on my 
buy my protein powder. It's not like that. It's more like this is something that is so clearly valuable that you're maybe even more likely to say, hey, John, do you mind if I invite a buddy of mine to this? He would just love, this would be awesome and you'd get a chance to meet XYZ, right? You probably get more of that than than you having to email this person 85 times. Hey, man, don't forget to invite so-and-so. Yeah, absolutely. So what happens is since we've systemized everything, there's a follow-up email that goes out the day after or a couple days after, and it has everybody's email addresses. You have to realize the really interesting thing that occurs is that you'll have people that would have never otherwise met sitting next to each other. And I have had these incredible experiences where, for example, there's a famous DJ by the name of Hester Prince. Uh, Her real name is Julie Potash. And she attended a, a dinner, and I don't think she would mind that I share this story. At the end of the dinner, as we're wrapping up and cleaning up, she walks around the table and walks up to this woman named Zanab. And just to give you a little bit of background on Zanab, Zanab started uh, Women for Women. It's a huge NGO that has done an immense amount of work for women's issues. She's also uh, was raised as Saddam Hussein's niece, grew up in the royal palace. And from what I understand, uh, it wasn't the most pleasant of situations. Although Saddam loved her very much. To the best of my knowledge, she's quite happy now that uh, she's not in such a difficult situation. But Julie walked around the table, walks up to Zanin, and says, when I was 16, I saw you on Oprah. And I was so moved by what you did and your organization that I gave all the money I could, which was $50 at the time. And every year since, I've been giving more. And at this point, like on the verge of tears, completely emotional because of how inspired she is by Zanip. You are my hero. And it's an absolute honor to meet you. Wow. And when you experience those moments, I've had moments where one dinner guests, because at a certain point when we sit down to eat, everybody guesses what everybody else does. Um, then I had a moment where guests that were sitting down next to each other, one of them guesses, you're a lifesaver. And then she said, when I was a teenager dying of cancer, I literally saw myself going towards the light. It was your music that pulled me back. And it turned out to be a famous musician. Oh, wow. And all of us were completely just blown away. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Uh, and next, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, you get these moments where just an honor to be in the presence of these titans. The big joke is that one day I hope to accomplish something worthy of an invitation to my own dinner. Right, of going to your own dinner party. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, no kidding. And frankly, if I didn't come up with it, I wouldn't be invited. But that's kind of the honor of being the person who, who brings everyone together, is that if you do a really good job curating and you can design something special, the most extraordinary people out there uh, will want to be part of what you create. You know, it's funny you should mention that because I was joking with somebody. I like going to startups for lunches here in Silicon Valley. They're, you know, they'll invite you and they'll be like, hey, come and hang out and see how we work. It's a really cool experience. And startups, to my knowledge, are one of the few companies that sort of actively pursue this. And mm-hmm. people always go, you know, what do you do? And yesterday I was at a really cool startup called Gumroad. And uh, they're like a payments processor. And most people won't care about it, but it's really great for digital content creation. And I told them about what I do, and they're like, cool, how do you find guests? And it sort of, we went down this little rabbit hole, and I was thinking, only now 
would I actually consider, if I weren't the host of the show, only now would it be time for me to even consider having myself on my own show. Mm -hmm. Like, I finally achieved what I think, you know, a business that's sort of at the level of the type of guest that I would want on my show, at least, you know, at the lower level. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. I, and I'm thinking, well, luckily I'm the host, and I've had eight years to sort of gather people around that are greater than I and greater than Art of Charm team members here to, to really interview and get their juice like yourself, you know? And it, it's great, because you're right. It, the reason I started the show is because I was thinking, geez, I don't have a million dollars to hire all these people to talk to me and consult and things like that. How do I get to talk to influential people for free? Oh, you give some sort of, you start some sort of show. I mean, that was the original germ of an idea. That was the seed of the That's Art of right. Charm. And it worked out really well so far, and yours is even better because those people are sitting in your living room chowing on some chicken that they roasted with each other. You know, it's it's even more powerful. Yeah, it's it's really impressive what you've created, Jordan. And I would be glad to have you as a dinner guest if you can find your way to New York. Of course, and and I will talk to you more about that. I'm actually going pretty soon, and it's part of my new plan to get there several times a year just because I feel like New York's got a pulse, man, and if you can get there even if you're just sort of hanging out and looking at stuff and talking to folks and visiting some companies or something like that, it's worth the investment to keep your finger at least somewhere near the pulse or at least to keep connected with people who are there who have their finger on the pulse. Maybe we'll even let you do a, a live recording with some of the dinner guests. That'd be pretty cool, actually. Yeah, little little in, Insta podcast on, a la iPhone. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So tell us what to do if we're sitting here and I'm going, all right, I'm sold on this. Jordan and John, what do I do? I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. I want to start one of these dinner parties. What's the first thing that I do? Well, I think the first thing you do is let go of the idea of a dinner party. We begin by understanding that this is going to take, it's a process that takes a long time. It took me a year to design the influencer's dinner. Now, I don't think most of these things need to take a year. It's just I had a very specific collection of intentions. And I wanted to fulfill them all, and I wasn't going to let a product be released until I felt really comfortable with it. Whatever it is that you want to create, it might be, like I said, a games night, a theatrical experience. It could be something altogether different. It could be a, a wine tasting. If you're really passionate about wines, why don't you bring together a group of people around pairings of foods and drink? Maybe it's a mixology night where you get 10 of your friends together, and you learn how to create really wild cocktails. Nothing says that it has to be anything specific, but what it needs to be is consistent with you and your values. Because I promise you that when year three, four, and five come around, unless it's something you're really passionate about, you're going to ask yourself why you've invested all this time and effort into it. Excellent. So it's, yeah, so it doesn't have to be cook a meal. It does, it just, it should be something in, so we sort of brainstorm if we're sitting there and we should brainstorm something that's our interest. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you're really huge into sports, maybe you're like the Monday night football awesomeness curator and you come up with some way to make an event around those things. One thing I could have done if I cared about sports, which I don't, I live right next to AT&T Park and people are always like, Hey, do you have a parking space or hey, do you know where I can leave my car? Or, hey, do you mind if I roll by and kill some time and hang out with you and grab some dinner kill, you know, before I try to drive back in crazy ballpark traffic, come and kill some time at your place or grab some food with you before? And now that we've got the World Series, 
I'm getting emails left and right, phone calls left and right that are like, hey man, uh, do you mind if I X, Y, Z, some, something that requires a bit of real estate near the stadium so that they can stage, right? I'm thinking, man, if I was interested in this in the least, I would be in a prime spot to curate any kind of World Series or baseball event. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that are thinking, yeah, you know, I have these parties where I invite people to drink before football games, and it's like, just step it up a notch and think of something that is a little bit more, what would you say, like less drinking and more focused? What we look at is a handful of things. One is to create your own traditions. So create a tradition that you're known for. Maybe even keep it a secret so that only the people who have attended will know about it. For me, there's three traditions that occur in my home that don't get discussed. I've managed to keep it out of every article written about it. And the people who attend the dinner get this really kind of special moment throughout the night. Or several of them. The other is focus on novelty. Now, when I talk about novelty, I do a lot of crazy things. Besides the dinners, I have several other events that I run. One is called the salon. Now, during the salon, I invite 60 people, and then I get three well-known speakers to talk on a theme. And I'll often get a musical performer. So at the last one, I had uh, Razel, who's one of the members of The Roots. He's a former dinner guest. And he's the known as the godfather of noise. He's the beatbox champion of the world, seven-time Grammy-nominated, two-time Grammy-winning artist. And he showed everybody how, or demonstrated kind of the history of hip-hop through vocal percussion. That was absolutely oh, a step. That's pretty cool. So he did like a beatbox walk through time. Yeah, he told the story. He's uh, the nephew, I think, of one of uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five members. He's one of the Furious Five is his uncle. I think Rosal grew up in the Bronx. Uh, the Furious Five uh, used to practice in Queens. So during the weekends, he would go out to Queens. And when he would come back to the Bronx, people would say, what did you hear? And he goes, well, first what we heard. And then he would demonstrate everything using vocal percussion of what everybody was doing. And that's how he became a, the godfather of noise. And so there was this element of secret and underground content, right? It's a talk that you can't hear anywhere else. An idea that is intimately shared. And I've had famous musical artists and famous actors uh, perform in my living room. And it literally just blows people away because, sure, you can pay for a ticket. But when was the last time you were at a private concert for 60 people where you were sitting in somebody's living room? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Intimacy and novelty. That's uh, I really focus on. And if you curate it well, and it takes a, a while to really understand curation, then people believe and associate the entire experience with you, even if you've only spoken to them for five minutes or two minutes. And so you get a lot of credit for, and people always end up thinking that they're like your best friend because they've been over at your house, <laughs> even though you spoke to them for five minutes. And it's like, yeah, of course I know John Levy. I was over at his house. We're boys. Nice. And so now that we've, let's say, come up with a, something we're really passionate about that meshes with our interests, what, how do we start to pick the people? So once again, it depends on what the experience is. But I generally try to go with an even gender split. People know that when they come to my home, it's not a meat market. This isn't like a dating experience. They're coming to meet interesting people and to explore ideas. And so I, I set the ground rules 
ahead of time. And when people get an invitation, there's a frequently asked questions section that runs through what the expectations and etiquette is. Really? There's, there's no confusion. What are some of those rules that might be counterintuitive? Because I want to make sure that guys who are listening are like, okay, okay, no, you know, hitting on chicks, you know, too much or something. Yeah, got it. But is there anything in there that you learned the hard way that you were like, oh, yeah, now I've got to add in a no bringing your pets rule or something weird like that? What I've learned is uh, two things. In the early stages, it turned into the salon became more of a party unintentionally. And so created social issues because it wasn't something that I wasn't looking for a party. I was looking for a cultural experience. And so for the first several, I don't know, 10 or so, it was a lot more learning on my part. And I would tell people, listen, if, like when I'd invite somebody, I'd tell them person to person, this isn't a meat market. If you want to bring a date, you have to tell me because I cap it at a certain amount. And But don't come here looking to hook up. Come here because we're going to explore an idea and it's going to be absolutely fascinating. I also would often have to tell people etiquette about my elevator because I try to pack too many people in there and get stuck. I once had a well-known, very tall, seven-foot actor uh, stuck in my elevator for an hour and a half with several other people because everybody packed in. Oh my God. That's a good start to getting to know each other though, right? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) He says it literally happens to him all the time because he's seven feet tall, so you got to figure that adds uh, a little bit of weight to an elevator. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, my God. But it was a long time until they could get them out. I used to put in a lot more etiquette about proper behavior, and then as the audience became more refined, I was able to take it out. The key is to keep it short enough that people will read it, but complete enough so that people understand the spirit of it. Yeah. So that people know what the intention of the evening is. People always ask me what they can bring. And I say, we don't expect you to bring anything, but you're, we always appreciate if you bring a bottle of wine or liquor, but we have no expectation. They often ask if they can bring a date. And so it says, uh, please note that uh, it is considered poor form to bring anybody who wasn't invited. If you need an additional invitation, approach us. Uh, because there's a, there's certain numbers in which social interaction begin to break down. And within the space that I have, I've found that when I cap it at somewhere between 50 and 60 people, it works out wonderfully. Wow, that's a lot of people, actually. Yeah, uh, it is. And to think that I host two of these a month, it means that over the past while, I've had about, I don't know, a thousand people over. Oh, wow. Sort of the leveling up part to people. And I, and I almost don't like that term because it sort of implies that you're using some people to get to others who are better than them, which isn't really the case, right? It's just okay. more, it's more breadth than getting, like, climbing over. The most influential people that I've had tend to be the busiest and not necessarily the strongest community members. Not from a lack of wanting, but simply because they're, they spend 200 days a year on the road. They spend, you know, three months at a time shooting a film. And when that happens, they don't have their phones on them. They don't answer emails. It's interesting. It's often the people that I didn't expect would be the best benefit to the community and have led to the most impact and strongest connections and have been these critical hubs that add cohesion. Because my objective isn't for me to, for everybody to be connected to me alone. My objective is a network is strongest when 
the number of network connections is massive. So that way, not only is it that I'm connected to everybody, but that everybody's connected to everybody. And then we really see a strong network effect. Excellent. And why is that the case? Well, think about it like this. Let's say you have a extraordinary fitness person in, in your community. If the research that we discussed earlier by Fowler and Christakis uh, is true, then if he only knows me, then there's only one pathway that his thinking and effects are felt. But if he knows 300, or not, that's a lot of people, but if he knows 20 of my friends, then he affects them and then they affect me additionally. So the more network connections exist between these extraordinary people, the stronger the effects and the more success everybody has and the stronger impact we can have on anything from health to global climate change to uh, their personal success to uh, their communities and nonprofits and ability to impact change. But if everything has to flow through me, one, I'll eventually get resentful uh, that I'm getting 20 requests a day. Sure. Yeah, because then it becomes a job. It ruins the, the yeah. part that makes you actually enjoy it, which means that the whole thing's basically two steps away from going downhill. Precisely. The other thing is that the, a lot of people have this like selfishness about their network. Like, oh, I have to keep it to myself. Yes. I can't. But when you bring two people together that adore you, then they end up discussing how much they adore you and end up adoring you even more. So... <laughs> there's no benefit to keeping these people secret from each other or separated. Let them have a little love fest about how great you are. That's interesting. I think there's something there as well because I know a lot of folks, and these are people who are less successful, people who are very successful, and we talk about this a lot on the show, especially with networking, they're the ones who are like, oh, have you met these people? Oh, have you met those people? And I, I drop his name a lot on the show, but I'm going to do it anyway because he's awesome at it. John Corcoran, my friend John Corcoran, of Smart Business Revolution, he constantly introduces people to me, and he's the reason I go to a lot of these startups and go eat lunch there, because I'm like, oh, you haven't met Jordan? Hey, and then he'll make the intro, and I love that. And the thing is, the more connections that we mutually have, the more we're sitting around talking about how great John Corcoran is, right? And that is only good for him. There's no getting around it. And then, of course, if he ever needs something from me or them, all he did, quote unquote, air quotes, all he did was introduce me to them and yet now we both kind of owe him a favor somehow. And you can send hundreds of emails a week if you need to. And that's a lot of social capital to sort of be shoring up. And it's not like, oh, I owe this guy a favor. It's like, I can't wait to help you because I almost feel guilty that I'm not doing more of it. Yesterday, I had this really funny experience. I was sitting down with the founder of, of Two Degree Foods, really wonderful guy. And they make a great product. Essentially, it's this healthy bar that you don't have to feel bad about eating. And for every bar that you buy, they donate a meal to starving children through their, uh, it's like Tom's Shoes for food. And I really liked him. We were just meeting to meet. And I said, let me know if I can do anything to help. He goes, you know, media attention always helps. And I have a prominent uh, reporter on a major network who has a show. And she said to me, John, you know, I'm always looking for interesting people. If you ever come across anybody, please email me details. I'll run it by my producers. We'd love to have them on the show. So why don't I just see if she's interested? Send me your bio. 
I forwarded his bio. She goes, oh, this would be perfect for National Giving Day. I think that that's what she called Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, and she goes, if he wants to come on the show, we'll do an entire show about it. This is all great. But, you know, there are certain people out there who are really good at drawing these connections. One of them is a woman by the name of Sunny Bates, known for her work uh, with Ted. Absolutely extraordinary human being. I've had the honor and privilege of hosting her at dinner. And you can see that when people are speaking, her natural inclination is, who can I connect them with? Right. And it's so wonderful to see a human being that does that. Another person that I give so much, so much credit for is a gentleman by the name of Adam Grant. Yes, give and take. He was on the show earlier as well. Yeah, he's, he's first of all, just the coolest guy. Super friendly, incredibly smart and well-spoken. But I rarely have the experience when I chat with somebody at a cocktail party or something, and they go, oh, you should speak to person A, B, and C. And I'll often take notes on my phone to follow up. Uh, but invariably, the next day, he sends me an email, and he goes, here's the links I was discussing. Here are the points. And I know he must have spoken to 20 other people, and I didn't see him taking notes on any of this, which meant that he remembered to, I guess, categorize somehow what everybody was, what was good for everybody, and then follow up with emails. And that's a huge time commitment. Then a week later, when I hadn't followed up with him on it, because my inbox was just so full, he sends me a follow-up email and says, John, I wanted to make sure that you got this. Uh, please just confirm. And all I could think was, wow, what an extraordinary human being. It's very ninja-like, too. And then people start to go, damn, you're good at this. And it's almost like you want that guy around just because if you're sitting there trying to network and make connections, you know he's on it. Yeah, that's value in and of itself. I, I just hope now that I could provide some value for him. Uh, hopefully I will when he eventually comes to one of my dinners. But it's actually kind of funny that you what you uh, said about uh, favors because I used to not like to ask people for favors. I used to be very prideful about it. Like, oh, I never ask anybody for anything. And then I came across some research that demonstrated that when you ask somebody for a favor and they do it, they end up liking you more. It's in, it's in Dale Carnegie and he talks about, I think it's Benjamin Franklin who came up with this. Some guy didn't like him. He writes the guy a letter and he's like, I would like your advice about this book. And the guy was like a book publisher or something or something like that, and the guy ended up like writing him a letter and sending him a copy of the book, and now they're like these great friends. Meanwhile, this guy hated Ben Franklin. So there's something about if you have somebody invest time into you, then you are seen as a person that's worthy of their time, and thereby they'll like you more. And so nowadays, I don't hesitate to ask people for favors. I actually realized that it was a shortcoming on my part. Being excessively independent actually hurts the friendship and that people take a lot of pleasure in supporting each other. And that networks really only function well when things flow through it. And that kind of characteristic of generosity is essential. It's, uh, it's interesting because a lot of times people, they don't wanna ask for generosity. And they don't, well, part of it is because they're afraid that someone's gonna say no. And the problem is you get nowhere if you wait and meanwhile, if you say, Jordan, oh, I'm starting a podcast and I just, there's so many options, I don't know what to do, and I sit here and we talk for 20 minutes about how to do something that you couldn't have just Googled or that you did Google and there's too many things and you're confused or you have a specific purpose in mind, I'm sitting here going, yeah, I'm glad I got a chance to help John out with that. That's, that was cool. What's, what's interesting is 
that where I struggle now is that people come to me for everything. Uh, from, oh, do you know somebody who needs to rent an apartment to whatever it is? And I recently heard Adam speak, uh, who we've been discussing. One of the suggestions that he made was that you should allow yourself to be known for being generous in a specific topic, right? People should come to you for advice on something specific, not everything. Something that you're really an expert on, something that you can really support them with. Because you can't be all things to all people. And it really got me thinking that, yeah, there's certain things I'm really good at supporting people with and certain things that I'm just not. And so now my attitude is, in general, my attitude is if you're not good at something, outsource it. If you don't know about something, then you have to speak to an absolute expert about it. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough to have experts in most fields in my community. But that it's really good to be generous in a specific area and be known for that. Because otherwise you'll be fielding requests for things that just like, you'll have no idea how to accomplish. Well, thank you very much, John. Is there anything you want to leave us with that, that we haven't covered? Uh, I think that the biggest takeaway that I can suggest for people is to just start something. Just test something out, let it fail, let it fail often, embarrass yourself often, and just keep learning and exploring the conversation. Be willing to be uncomfortable. Be willing to be embarrassed. Uh, because I promise you, I have embarrassed myself a hundred times more than you could imagine. And it has been a painful and absolutely wonderful experience. And there are certain things, especially those things that you're passionate about, that it's glorious to fail out. You can take an honor in the process of learning and failing. I encourage everybody to fail gloriously. Thank you so much, man. Much appreciated. My pleasure. This is an absolute pleasure, Jordan. And thank you for having me on the show. There you have it. You only go as high as your five closest friends. Couldn't be more true. John Levy's the proof in the pudding. Hopefully you got some great tips and know-how on how to create these curated dinners or experiences for that matter. They don't have to be dinners. And of course, why the best of the best make this happen and why leveraging that social currency and getting people to invite their influential friends. He's already asked me who he should invite to his next New York City dinner. And of course, how to level up the attendees and creating that curated community around you. Say that three times fast. Thanks so much, John Lovey. I hope you guys enjoyed this. And of course, show feedback and guest suggestions. This show's a fanarchy. That means it's run by you. And we rely on you guys to help us keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know, jordan at theartofcharm.com. If you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank John on Twitter, and we'll have his Twitter linked in the show notes. Bootcamp details at bootcamps.theartofcharm.com. Remember those two dots in there. And if you're listening to this, but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or your computer while you sleep, it's really the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. You can do that by going to iTunes, searching for the Art of Charm podcast, or just go straight to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and hit subscribe. That is it. Of course, we've got our iPhone and Android apps available. Artofcharm.com slash iPhone, artofcharm.com slash Android, or find it in the marketplace. Now, all right, guys, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there, get social, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.